Let us pray. God, we thank you for this day, for this chance to freely gather here and worship you. And Lord, we thank you for the gift of the scripture, the way that it teaches and points to us, points us in the direction that we should go. As we continue our worship here, may you speak into our hearts and lives this day and each day that which we need to hear. May my words be yours. In Jesus' name, amen. We continue looking at various spiritual disciplines, having looked at prayer, at scripture, and at solitude, these biblical practices, these tools, these practices, these disciplines that uh, help to train us in our relationship with God, to, to remove the old bad habits, to help us to focus on the God of the universe. And these hopefully become habits that become a part of our life. And today we journey now to worship. And of all the disciplines that I'll talk about, I think in many ways the worship is the one that is most often misunderstood. It's hard to define. We wrestled with this a little bit in Bible study this week, and I'm not going to seek to offer those various definitions uh, today, but what I want to do is examine this discipline as worship as we understand it as a discipline. So oftentimes we make two mistakes, I think, when it comes to worship. We assume first that worship only happens in the church. This is somewhat inaccurate. But there's also another uh, common approach that seems to be gaining ground. It, dangerous, in fact, sometimes. That this notion that anything, anything can be called worship. This too is, in fact, inaccurate, perhaps uh, a little more problematic than inaccurate. You see, worship is a discipline. When we think about it as a discipline, is a couple things. It is first and foremost a lifestyle of worship. Our worship is not just to be a Sunday activity, yet the Sunday activity is essential, and I will get to that. But our life, our whole lives is to be an act of worship. The things that we say, what we do, how we interact with one another, what we think, how we pray, how we discuss, how we serve, our work. Every aspect, our whole lives is to be an act of worship. Everything. It's important to understand, though, before we go any further and as we get into this passage a little in a little bit, God should be our only object of worship. To have anything else be the object of our worship is what the scripture calls idolatry. And truth be told, we worship so many different things. Sometimes they're good things, sometimes they're not. We worship sports teams, sports themselves, athletes, celebrities, superstars, food, music, liturgy, possession, church leaders, Many, many things. Money. All sorts of things. Politicians. Oh no, not so much. <laughs> Wrong sermon. There are so many things that we worship. And the truth is that we oftentimes don't see this. That in our excitement, we don't realize that the things that we drive, that drive us, the things that we strive for, oftentimes are the things that we worship. That whether it's attaining success or pleasing God or being driven by a particular routine, we don't understand the impact of these things. And this is where the spiritual discipline of worship comes into play. 
but we worship only the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is to be the only object of our worship, the one who we worship. And very few of us set up and wake up in the morning and say, today I am going to worship my car. Today I am going to worship the news media. We don't wake up and say these things. What's oftentimes our attitude, our posture, the, the, the things that we talk about, the things that we focus on indicate something else. It's a natural human thing, and that's why we have these disciplines. We do things in worship, the point of these things in worship that we do in our worship services, whether on Sundays or Wednesdays or in other venues, is to point us to God, to help us to focus on God, because again, it is not always our natural human instinct to do so. But as great as these things are, as significant as they are, as beautiful as the sacrament is, we must remember it is God who we worship. We gather here together for that purpose, to connect with, to get ourselves refocused on, to worship this God, to celebrate a week of ministry in the world and to be re-energized for another week of ministry in the world. You see, worship is not just an approach of the body to the church. It is an approach of our whole being, of our soul, of our whole self to the God of the universe. And that's where I think we get confused. We talk about worship either in a limited context or we make everything worship, which if it's not God we're worshiping, I hate to tell you, it's not really worship. Worship is really something we do because of who God is. It's really God that stirs up in us the need, the desire, the want to worship. It is God who calls us to worship. It is our human response to God's divine initiation. It is God who initiates, not us. That craving, that desire, that thought, that yearning of the heart, where does that come from? It's not from us, it's from God. And so we are simply responding to what God is doing. We are simply coming up with a limited but important human response to God's divine initiative. It is a response of love. We worship out of love for God, for what God has done, what God continues to do, for God's love for us, but most importantly, for who God is. This is what worship is all about. And we do beautiful things to help us. But so oftentimes, we make those things the focus. When our job, in the midst of whatever's going on in life, whether it's stress or it's joy, whether it's distraction or whether life is pretty simple, we come and we stop and we gather to worship, to focus our hearts and minds on the God of the universe. It is a priority for us, should be a priority for us to be a part of the church, that we gather here for a purpose. It's our call, it's our purpose, it's our mission. God has given us this gift of the body of Christ. And certainly there are times where we are not physically able to get to this or another church worship service, but we must make it a priority. And when we don't make it a priority, it's a statement. We lose sight of the habit and the discipline, but... If we're honest, there are a lot of things that we never miss, that we make a priority. Truth be told, sometimes those things are not worship. 
That gathering together as a community of faith is vital. It's vital for each one of us. We cannot do this alone. In fact, I think that coming together as the community of faith of the church is more necessary perhaps now than ever, especially in our country. It's our way to battle this rugged individualism that we have. That yes, we each have a relationship with Jesus Christ, but that's not it. This faith of ours is meant to be lived out as a community. That we need to learn, to worship, to see, to discern, to support, to help, to encourage one another by coming together. And we lose sight of that. And that's a danger for us. And yet, the truth is, while maybe gathering together for weekly worship and community or regular worship and community is two-thirds to three-quarters of the puzzle... It's true that we're to worship God in other ways and times and places. In fact, in every other way, in every other time, in every other place. That we are to thank and praise God and to look to God in each and every moment of our lives. That we're to look at everything as an act of worship. Our getting up, our conversations, our interactions, our work, whether we love it or not, whether it feels godly or doesn't, is worship. Our volunteering, our serving, the way we love family and friends and strangers, that we have the opportunity to look, to focus on the triune God, to give thanks and worship this God in everything. And the more we do this, the more it becomes a habit, the more it becomes our lifestyle, the more that we become focused on God instead of ourselves or the other things around us that distract us. There are plenty of distractions, aren't there? Whether it be a news report, someone's health, job concerns, stress, a fight with the spouse, children misbehaving, spouses misbehaving, whatever it might be. There are so many things that pull us from focus on God. The devil loves that. The master of distraction. And yet, this habit, this discipline is so critical to us. It's our priority. I love one of the scriptural words. I just like how it sounds. This Greek word, one of the words to describe worship, koinonia. It, it, it means a lot of things, but it, it means an intense fellowship with God, with one another, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Laura and I were talking before church about a bunch of different things, and, and as we were talking about life and faith in the church, we, we both agreed that, that the priority, the thing we should celebrate the most is this growing in our relationship with God, this growing in faith. Worship is essential to that. Worship is essential to our lives. It's not just an item on the calendar. It's not just a practice. It's not just going for a walk in the woods. It's so much more. I love this gospel reading today. This is perhaps one of the most profound and direct discourses on worship in all of the scripture. Certainly in the gospels in the New Testament, one of the strongest statements on worship. It's a powerful passage. It is so deep and complex. It in itself could be six sermons. Don't worry. We have lunch today, so we'll be okay. It is so critical. It's a really interesting story if you look at it. Jesus speaks about worship in an unconventional way. A common moment, gathering water, yet 
profound moment. It's a moment that's controversial. You've got to understand Jesus um, goes into this town, Samaria, which is an interesting town for him to go to. The Jews and the Samaritans, they don't associate. They're like the Republicans and the Democrats, kind of. And only worse. And they don't, they don't associate. They don't connect. And so he stops in this town, Samaria, and he sits by a well by himself where you gather the water. And he sends the disciples off to do some work. And this woman comes. And Jesus has this powerful, powerful, I mean the words here, the meaning of these words are so deep. This powerful encounter with this woman at the well. But there's some problems here. There's at least three. First, Jesus, the Jew, is talking to a Samaritan. He's having a conversation with the Samaritan. A, a deep conversation, in fact. This is countercultural to say the least. This is not going to earn him some points. And worse yet, and this is just the culture, I'm not saying this, it, that he's talking to a woman, a, a Jewish man talking to a Samaritan, but a Samaritan woman, a, a lesser figure in culture, a lesser person, and Jesus interacts with her one-on-one -on -one here at, at the well. And he does it by himself. You, you see later in the passage, the disciples come and see him there, and they're, and they're going, what is he doing? I mean, it's, it's almost scandalous. Jesus is by this woman. But it's scandals more so because of this woman's reputation. You see, we know that there's a problem with her for a couple reasons. We hear Jesus ask her about her husband, and she talks about the five. He says, if you've had five, and the one that you're with now is not your husband. All right? So that's problem number one. Not ideal, okay? Problem number two, she comes at noon. You see, it wasn't, it's a, that's an important little detail in this passage that we missed. Coming at noon was a big deal. You didn't come at noon for your water. It was hot. It was a busy time of day. You, you came in the morning and or at night. That's when most of the women came to gather the water. So why would she come at noon so no one else would be there? You see, a woman of bad reputation, she didn't want to deal with the rejection, the gossip, what was going to happen if she came in the morning or she came at evening when the other women were there. And so she comes alone where all the other women get to journey together. She comes alone at noon. And, and in fact, it's really interesting because in this moment, we have to understand that this woman is hurting. She's lonely. She's isolated. Her life is as empty as the jar that she brings to this well. She's broken. Have you ever felt broken or empty? Have you ever felt that you kind of got to avoid or sneak into church late because of something that happened? Or have you ever felt like it's been hard to encounter God because of something you said or did or something you're feeling or experiencing? Have you ever been mad at God wondered where God is. This woman was probably experiencing all of those things, a, an empty, isolated, painful life. The, the fact that she had five husbands and, and this other man is probably not just a commentary on her morals or her behavior, it's also a commentary on loneliness, on rejection. And here's what's interesting to me. Jesus goes there, I think, in this moment just to meet with this woman. 
He makes this extra stop. He waits by the well just to meet with this woman. It is a divine appointment. Jesus comes to her, this sinful, broken, rejected, unworthy person. Jesus comes to her. And if Jesus comes to her, it's a reminder to us that that same Jesus... No matter how broken, lonely, frustrated we are, that same Jesus comes to us. And even in pointing out her issues, he doesn't condemn her. He invites her into a conversation. In fact, he invites her to participate in living water, to be in relationship with the God of the universe. But here's what's interesting to me. I caught this for the first time. Again, you read these passages over and over again. You see, Jesus doesn't start with an offer to her. I can help you. I can give you living water. I can free you from your pain. The first thing he does is asks her for help. This person, this Samaritan woman, sinner, come at noon person, the first thing Jesus does is ask her for help. What power in that moment? This is the same Jesus who comes to us. This is the Jesus that we are invited to worship. This is the Jesus that we come here to worship, to serve, to get to know more deeply. This is what worship is about, this relationship with Jesus, worshiping this God. And I love this passage. It says here that we are to worship in spirit and in truth. That's, that's it. How do we worship? In spirit and truth. And we're not sure exactly what that fully means, and there are books on that statement. And there's controversy over the word spirit. Does that mean our spirit, which means our whole being, our soul, all that we are? Or does that refer to the Holy Spirit? And, and, and most fall on the, the first side. But the truth is, our soul, our body, our hearts, our minds can't worship God without the, without the initiation, without the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And in truth, with the truth of the Scripture, with the truth that we know about this person, Jesus, we worship in reality. We worship what is true. All of this is only possible through the Spirit. So often we get caught up in where and how we worship, and those things are important. They should be scriptural. They should draw us to God. But what really matters, if you want to understand about this story, about the discipline of worship, it's who we worship that matters. And this is what happens with this woman. She doesn't just encounter information. It's not just about the well and that it's Jacob's. It's the one that she encounters that matters. You see, God wants the best for us. And this is a picture of the best. That worship, that gathering together regularly as a community of faith is essential. It's critical. It's the gift that God has given us. An imperfect gift, but a necessary gift. We cannot do this alone. We're meant to be in community. But we're also called to worship God in all of these moments. God wants this for us. That our worship isn't restricted to this moment, but it must be discerning. It must be about God and not about us. I see Jesus invites this woman in, invites her to the truth, invites her to this relationship. Worship is 
our whole life approach to God. Worship is also our gathering here. It's not either or, it's both. And that's why it's both an essential part of our life, the main deal, this gathering together, but it's also supposed to go beyond this. We're always worshiping someone or something. That's the truth. We're always worshiping someone or something. The truth is that worship changes us. And what matters most is our posture of worship. Not our outfit, not our location, but our posture. The posture of our heart. And a lot of times... I know that I have to be in this discipline, not just of Sunday church, but of daily worship. Because if I'm not, it's very tempting, very easy for me to get focused on and worship other things, other than the God. It's not casual. This is our whole life. This is important. This matters. We don't just do it because of tradition and habit. We do it because we're called. We are created to worship. That's what we're made for. We're made for worship. And I love it. We all thirst, right? You've all been thirsty. You ever go out and mow the lawn or work on something outside or go to the gym and you get to the end of the workout and your mouth is dry and you're really thirsty and you, you go in for that quick drink of water or, or juice or Lutheran beverage or whatever else you're going after? And you take that sip and you realize how thirsty you are and you just, you drink and drink and drink. You, you just, you're, you're filled. You feel refreshed, right? You feel refreshed. Well, this is what happens as we get to know God. I was talking to somebody else about this this week, about this thirst for God, this craving for God. That the more we get to know God, the more we encounter God, just like this woman at the well, the more we thirst and the more that we drink of this great stuff that God has for us, the more that we worship God, the more that we want to do it, the more that we want to experience it. And here's the good news. All the things that distract us, all the things we chase after, all the things we worship, whether good, bad, or indifferent, they can't fill us. But the one who can, we know. The one who can fill us, we can be in relationship with. And it's that one that we gather to worship. It's not just a weekly activity. It's to be our lives. It's both. And what we do here is not about the sermon, not about the practices, not about the people. Although all those are important, all those are good, all those add, all those point to God. It's about the triune God who we come and gather and worship. The one that we can know, whether lonely, sinful, broken, or rejected, just like this woman, when we gather here and when we seek to worship God out there, this Jesus comes to us and gives us all that we need, the living water. Let us pray. God, we thank you for these disciplines for worship that we can freely gather here and worship you, that we have the privilege, the opportunity, and the ability to do so. God, help us to worship you in spirit and truth to make our whole lives worship, to make our worship here a priority. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand as we continue in worship.